0: Whether you have a general interest in health and wellness, or you are already a medical professional, we're here to provide you with tools and resources to make informed decisions about your health. This is House Call, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's podcast. Here, our expert providers will share with you wellness tips, information, and general health advice. Thank you for listening. Urinary incontinence, or the loss of bladder control, is a common and sometimes embarrassing problem. Those with incontinence may face the occasional tinkling of urine during a cough or sneeze, or, on the extreme end of the spectrum, may face these overwhelmingly strong and sudden sensations of having to urinate so much so that they might not actually get to the restroom in time. We've brought in Dr. Lori Kane, a urogynecologist at Hackensack Meridian Health Medical Group and Southern Ocean Medical Center, to discuss the medical condition that affects millions of Americans, most of which are women. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Kane. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Of course. Let's take a step back. How does the urinary system work? I know it consists of the bladder, the kidneys, the urethra, but you know how do these parts all function and work together?
1: The body has a way of eliminating toxins from the body. The kidneys help to filter the toxins out of the bloodstream and thereby making urine. The ureters transfer the urine from the kidneys into the bladder And the bladder acts as a storage vessel to hold the urine until it's socially acceptable for you to urinate. The urethra is the tube that transfers urine from the bladder into the toilet. These all work together to help keep the body functioning and also help you keep from being embarrassed out in public.
0: How would you define incontinence other than the loss of bladder control? Is there a more technical way of describing it?
1: For me, as a physician treating incontinence, incontinence is any time urine leaves your body when you don't want it to. For me, if urine is leaving my body and I'm not sitting on top of the toilet, that's my definition of incontinence. When I ask patients if they are incontinent or if they leak urine, very commonly they will say no. No. But then when you look and you see they're wearing a pad, they're clearly incontinent. Some people think leaking urine and incontinence of urine are two different things. So incontinence is really when you're not wanting to lose urine, but urine is coming out of your body when it's not expected. How does this happen? The bladder is all about physics, which might seem complicated. It's all about pressures. So the bladder should be able to stretch kind of like a balloon to be able to hold urine that the kidneys are processing. The tube that you pee from, or the urethra, should have a high pressure in order to hold that urine in. When we have incontinence, there's either a high pressure in the bladder or a low pressure in the urethra, which allows urine to pass from your body without you wanting it to. Are there different types of incontinence? Yes, actually. So there's stress incontinence, which isn't when you're stressed out, it's actually when your body has increased pressure around the bladder. So say for instance, if you're coughing, sneezing, laughing, or exercising, this is an issue where we have a low pressure in the urethra or the tube that you pee from. For urge incontinence, that's that feeling where you have to go to the bathroom suddenly and you're not able to make it to the bathroom in time. Even if there's a couple of drops coming out before you reach the bathroom, that's considered incontinence. When we have urge incontinence, that's a high pressure in the bladder, where the bladder is trying to urinate before you're ready to go to the bathroom. There's also mixed incontinence, which is just a simple combination of both stress and urge incontinence. Occasionally, we'll see overflow incontinence, and overflow is when the bladder is not emptying all the way, and more urine is continuing to be produced by the kidneys, and the bladder just simply overflows, kind of like if you were filling a glass up with water, and you just kept pouring the water into the glass, and it would overflow.
0: Are any of these different types a little bit more common than others?
1: We see very commonly the mixed incontinence picture where the patients will have both stress incontinence and urge incontinence. However, one component might be more bothersome than the other. So a patient may say, yeah, I leak urine with coughing and sneezing, but my big issue is that I can't get to the bathroom in time or vice versa. In cases like that, what we do is we treat the one that's most bothersome to the patient.
0: Now, incontinence is more common in women than men, correct?
1: Yes, it actually is. Um, I do only treat women as a urogynecologist, but it is a very, very common problem in women. Um, something like childbirth, uh, which definitely contributes to the problem. Obviously, only women are having that issue, but even just the hormones um going to, through different types in your me- menstrual cycle or menopause, where we start to have a decrease in the natural hormones, can uh, promote incontinence.
0: What are some other risk factors that could put an individual you know, at a higher chance of being incontinent?
1: The number one risk factor actually is age. Um, when you go through menopause, you lose the hormone estrogen. And the estrogen actually helps keep the tissues in the vagina and in the bladder strong and kind of bulkier. It also makes the bladder less irritated. So age is our number one um, risk factor for incontinence. We can also see increased risk of incontinence in patients that have had childbirth, but childbirth doesn't automatically put you at risk. It really goes on an individual basis, and there's multiple factors that may add together to cause incontinence. So we may have a woman that's had no children, but she's incontinent, and we may have someone that has had many children, and she is not incontinent. So it really just depends on the individual risk factors. Other things like smoking do not help, Um, and patients that, have had chronic constipation, chronic heavy lifting, that also puts them at risk.
0: What are other symptoms that can be associated with incontinence?
1: So things that we look for, we ask patients, what, are the, what is the frequency that you urinate? Every one hour, two hours? And also, how many times do you wake up at night? Typically, it's zero to one time. And that's considered normal, but if they're going to the bathroom more than two times a night, it is a sign of something called overactive bladder, or bladder spasms, which cause frequency and urgency. Daytime frequency is typically between every three to four hours, or a total of uh, eight or less times during the day.
0: This may be a silly question, so feel free to completely laugh at me, but if you are experiencing incontinence, Do you advise that your patients cut down on the amount of liquids that they take in during the day?
1: That's a great question, actually. When patients are drinking a lot of fluid, it's going to have the body create a lot more urine. And in a bladder that doesn't want to hold urine, they're going to have more symptoms. It's not unusual for patients to come in by the time they present in my office to have to be drinking only two to three glasses of fluid a day, which obviously is a problem. So there is a right amount to be drinking. We don't want you to drink too much because that will flood your bladder, but we also don't want you to be dehydrated either. The other issue is caffeine. If you're drinking a lot of caffeine, I always tell my patients to help them explain it. One cup of caffeine may make up to three cups of urine. And that effect will last for six hours. So if you're having a cup of caffeine in the morning, and then you're having another cup of caffeine in the afternoon, and then at dinner time, that caffeine and diuretic or water pill effect will last your entire day. So the smart thing to do is have maybe one small cup of coffee in the morning, and the rest of the choices during the day should be decaffeinated.
0: Well, thank you. I actually had no idea about that. Um, you know, water pill effect. How, as a doctor, how is this officially diagnosed?
1: So so urinary incontinence is really a symptom that the patient is going to come in and talk about. The most important way that we diagnose this is based on a patient's history. So when they come into our office, we have a very extensive patient packet which the patients complain about often. (laughs) But the reason why we have so many questions is it really helps me diagnose what type of incontinence the patient has. I'll also go through and ask the patient several clarifying questions to really kind of pin down the type of incontinence that she has, whether it's stress incontinence or urge incontinence, because that helps me figure out how to treat them stress incontinence is managed completely different than urgent incontinence. So we don't wanna do surgery on a patient that's pr- primary issue is urgent incontinence and can be treated with physical therapy, exercises, behavioral modification, or even medications.
0: Are there other simple lifestyle changes that can help control incontinence? Absolutely. The first thing that we recommend is
1: behavioral modification and bladder training. This is the one treatment that we can use to improve both stress and urge incontinence. Behavioral modification is doing what we had talked about before, making sure your fluid intake is appropriate, not too high and not too low, and make sure you're avoiding bladder irritants such as caffeine and alcohol. I don't tell the patients never to have caffeine or alcohol, but if you do have more caffeine than you're used to or more alcohol, you will notice that you'll have more bladder symptoms. So it's about choices. If you want to have the extra caffeine, understand that you may have more bladder symptoms afterwards. The other thing that we try and do, especially with patients with overactive bladder, is something called bladder training. And what that is is like repotty training your bladder. Hmm. So what you wanna do is go to the bathroom on a certain schedule instead of waiting for your bladder to tell you. And then gradually increase the time interval between when you go to the bathroom to void. By doing this, you're teaching your bladder how to hold pee. The other thing that we use Um, to help improve control is Kegel exercises. I was just going to ask about that. (laughs) Everybody talks about Kegels in my office. Um, The Kegel exercises are really kind of your holding muscle. The Kegel helps strengthen the muscles of your pelvic floor where your bladder sits, and it also helps as a reflex to strengthen your bladder's ability to relax when you really have to go pee. I hear patients all the time stating, when I have to go pee, I rush to the bathroom and I'm leaking on the way. If you spend all of your effort rushing instead of holding, you're going to be incontinent. So the smarter thing to do is take your time when you have the urge, slow deep breaths and do your Kegel exercises, which will help the bladder relax and give you time to get to the bathroom when the urge passes.
0: Are there a certain number of times a day you should be doing Kegels? Do you have any general guidelines?
1: I am probably the most non-compliant patient I've ever had. So to me, the, the importance is making sure that you're doing what you're told to do instead of trying to set out a vigorous exercise schedule because what I found is the patients just don't do it. If I say do it you know, for 15 minutes, three times a day, it's just not gonna happen. So what I tell my patients is stoplights and commercials. So you can do your Kegel exercises when you're sitting down watching TV, a commercial comes on and you can Kegel. That way you don't have to worry about counting because then you're you're saying, you're so worried about how many you need to do instead of actually doing the exercises. And the same, same way with stoplights. So these are things that are going to happen multiple times during your day. It builds a habit that when I'm at a stoplight, I'm going to Kegel or when there's a commercial, I'm gonna Kegel. And then it's a natural way to build in the exercises into your daily schedule. And then it will become a habit instead of a chore.
0: And it's mindless too, if you're doing it, it during those times. It,
1: it absolutely is. and. I do my Kegels when I'm driving to work and when I have my long commute, I do it at every pole that's in the highway and that way I don't think about it. I can concentrate on my book on tape, but I get my Kegels done.
0: Wow. Too much information. (laughs) I don't know. I think that's great for everybody out there listening. If this goes undiagnosed, physically speaking, are there any long-term health effects of this?
1: Most of what I do is improve quality of life. The majority of the incontinence that we're dealing with is simple, straightforward stress and urge incontinence. However, we do want to make sure that there's nothing important or serious that's underlying. The first thing I do when I do an exam, I want to make sure that there's no underlying bladder prolapse or a dropped bladder. A dropped bladder can hold extra urine which can cause urinary retention, or the patient not emptying her bladder all the way. This happens for, a, if this is a significant issue, or if it's happening over a long period of time, that can cause bladder, recurrent bladder infections, or if undiagnosed for a long period of time, it can cause kidney damage. So that's really important. The other thing that we want to make sure is that there's no growths or stones or any issues inside the bladder itself. So depending on the patient's history, we may want to do a cystoscopy, which is a, a camera inside the bladder, to make sure that there's nothing in the bladder itself that are contributing to the symptoms. One of the simple things, though, is really quality of life. Quality of life is the biggest factor when it comes to incontinence, and there have been several studies done on this that as the population ages, one of the most important things to keep healthy is to be getting out of the house and interacting with people. And I hear so many times from my patients saying that they can't visit family or friends or they can't go to the senior center because they're afraid of leaving a wet spot, either in the car or in somebody's furniture. Multiple times I hear that they can't visit their grandkids and stay overnight because they're afraid to do a sleepover and wet the bed. This to me is the biggest problem. Absolutely. It's interacting socially and making sure that you can feel comfortable going out of the house and doing simple errands and simple doctor's appointments and interacting with your friends and family to keep you young and healthy in spirit. The doctors are working hard to keep you healthy and alive and to make you live longer. But if you don't have a quality of life, that's a problem.
0: Yeah, you definitely, I mean, if I was a patient, I would want to alleviate that stress, that anxiety, and hopefully not even become depressed, you know?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. It really is a significant factor. I have many times every day, people ask me, why am I doing this? why am I doing this job because they think it's terrible because I do get peed on every day. Um, But the issue is I can significantly improve people's quality of life. And that is such a significant factor. And the job satisfaction that goes along with that is incredible. To have someone that was homebound because of the amount of urine incontinence that they had and then to be able to have them schedule a trip is so rewarding.
0: If somebody was experiencing, you know, the first sights of urine leakage, do they first have to go to an OBGYN or primary care doctor and then get an appointment with a urogynecologist, or can they kind of self-refer themselves to a urogynecologist? They can
1: fast forward right to urogyne. I think if the symptoms are mild, the the initial thing I would try was the beha- is the behavioral modification and watching your fluid intake and your caffeine a lot of patients we can improve significantly just by doing behavioral modification. If you've tried that and you're still having significant symptoms, or if you consider your symptoms severe, I would absolutely just schedule an appointment with a specialist. The things that are concerning, where they should come in right away, is if they feel they're not emptying their bladder completely, or if they ever see blood in the urine that is never normal and that should always be evaluated.
0: Well, thank you for pointing that out. It's hopeful to know that there's help out there, there's treatment options available, and anyone who is concerned, you know, about urinary incontinence, they should definitely see a doctor. So, thank you again for joining me today, Dr. Kane. Thank you. The material provided through this Health You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician always consult your physician for individual care.